This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas and educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. Global citizenship education is an idea you've probably heard about. We've talked about it on the show a few times. It's fairly straightforward as an abstract concept. A global citizen is someone who thinks of themselves as part of a larger family. Much attention on global citizenship education today is to ensure that certain values are taught in school, despite the ever-growing demands on students from other subjects like science, math, or language. The idea with global citizenship education and the idea with it now being so high profile uh, and being talked about by a variety of different actors is that we are explicitly looking at addressing uh, these various aspects, these, these values that sometimes can get lost in the shuffle. But how can global citizenship education be measured? What tools exist to incorporate global citizenship education across the curriculum? That's much more difficult. The Center for Universal Education at the Brookings Institution, UNESCO, and the UN Secretary General's Education First Initiative Youth Advocacy Group convened a working group of 88 people to catalog practices and tools in use around the world that measure global citizenship education they found some innovative ways to measure the concept. With me today is Jaisadhara Bhattacharya. She was one of the lead members of the working group from Brookings, which resulted in a report entitled Measuring Global Citizenship Education, a collection of practices and tools. Jaisadhara Bhattacharya, welcome to Fresh Ed. Thank you. How did you or how did this report define global citizenship education? Well, that's a very interesting question, Will. So um, basically, in order to corral this rather fuzzy field of global citizenship education, we ended up looking at a variety of different other fields that inform what global citizenship education is. So, for example, um, you know, the field of education for sustainable development, so environmental education, that has a lot of aspects that feed into global citizenship education, peace education, human rights education, um, and, and a variety of different other fields. Um, so, so we looked at a way to come up with a common theme uh, that basically emerged from this, these fields. And we, we thought that a common theme that would kind of encompass the ethos that was present in these fields is this ethos of valuing uh, yourself, valuing others. So the idea of human dignity is something that we could latch on to as a, as a common theme to, to try and um, get the work started in terms of looking at various programs that might fit the bill for global citizenship education. So what would be the meaning of like citizen 
in this sense? So a citizen in this sense is not a citizen in uh, the way we mean national citizenship. And that's actually one of the contentious elements of global citizenship when it comes to uh, being mainstreamed or being spoken about. Because we are so used to thinking of the term citizen in terms of a national citizen, someone who has a passport and therefore someone who has um, a connection to a nation state where uh, the nation state has obligations towards you just as you have obligations towards it. So it's that pact. So we are so used to conceiving of the term citizen in those terms that when we come across global citizenship, it um, becomes um, a, a false tension where you think that because you are quote unquote a global citizen, you don't need to be a national citizen or somehow national citizenship is diluted in the sense of um, an identity that might be more global. So citizen in this case um, is not really in, in, in that tension or that's how we conceived of it because a global citizen is someone who thinks of themselves as part of a larger family and you know that larger family could be your your community that larger family could be um, your country that larger family definitely uh, encompasses the world as a whole because the reality is we now know that everything that we do has an impact that has um, a, a broader range of fallout let's say than uh, then we did 50 years ago uh, because we are living in a highly interconnected world. So a global citizen would be someone who's aware of their place in that highly connected world, that they have whatever they do has an impact on that larger world, on these larger networks, and vice versa, that these larger networks also has an impact on them. And ideally, this is a person who is also able to um, navigate those interactions. So if they wanted to um, impact that larger network, they, they know how to go about it or at least have some sort of idea of how to go about it. And um, also they are aware that this larger network has an impact back on them as well. So in this sense, the, the global is not simply a collection of nation states. Yes. So the term global here refers to a holistic planet as a whole, because if you because there is no mechanism in place in, in practical terms, there's no mechanism in place for having a quote unquote global citizenship that would be the same as um, as having a passport, right? So there's no global passport. So if I am a citizen of the United States and I'm overseas traveling somewhere, so let's say I'm overseas traveling in Japan, the person responsible or the entity responsible for my health, well-being and safety 
is still the, um, you know, well, you know, hopefully you're treated well in whatever country you visit, but, but ultimately, um, you know, you go back to your embassy, for example, or your consulate, because that's the passport that you have. And there's no similar analogy for a global citizen. So, so we're not looking at this larger world order. Um, we are, because that is, you know, like that's something that's, you know, in a theoretical space that people talk about, but that's, that's really not the sense of what a global citizen, citizen is at this day and age. Um, because there's no such mechanism in place to do that. So it's it's basically conceiving of global citizens as people who value themselves, value others, uh, value their environment, and have a long-term vision for their future as members of stable, sustainable societies and um, realizing that their actions have an impact on those larger societies and vice versa, that that's, those larger societies reflect that back on them. I mean, why, why is global citizenship education important? I mean, it seems like a lot of what you're saying could actually be done uh, by national citizenship education. I don't see why it has to be global citizenship education that that teaches human dignity right so so um and and there is a, a lot of that within um the the national systems um so for example there's the uh, all the iccs surveys uh, that come out and they look at well how do different national education systems uh, conceive or 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 deliver national citizenship. So so with global citizenship, we we wanted to get across a sense of um, the interconnectedness piece, because we are impacted by a lot of events that are um, that are global in nature, and therefore we have to have the skill set to navigate those global events. So for example, um, if you can look at climate change, that's a global level event which affects everybody. And you cannot impact climate change by individual action. It has to be collective action at the global level. If you look at issues of violent extremism, if you look at issues like the refugee crisis that happened in Syria, these are all uh, events that are global events that have to be acted on at a collective national level. And these are just recent events that are dawning on us and we don't know what other major global events will be coming up on um, on the horizon and to tackle those global level events you need a global mind like global mindedness in terms of your thinking and so the sense of the interconnections that exist um, and and these networks that exist. So systems level thinking is what is required. And uh, that is where the idea, well, and we wrestled um, 
in the working group when it was first um, when it was first kind of being hatched out of the learning metrics task force in terms of what do we call this because this is an area of education that seems necessary so what do we call this area of education and eventually we settled on the phrase global citizenship education and um, this of course was also very opportune because it aligned with um, the uh, what this, the UN Secretary General uh, Ban Ki-moon had said at the dawn of the sustainable uh, development goals that we we want a, um, a a universal integrated and transformative vision for a better world and the global education first initiative actually had in it um, you know a global citizenship education as well so so uh, so that was a great piece of alignment with the work that we were doing. So, um, so, so that was also, um, you know, um, at the dawn of the sustainable development goals of the 2030 era, uh, this was just, this just seemed to be the right fit. So how, how is global citizenship education actually practiced around the world? I mean, I understand the, the the connection from the UN and a lot of these lofty ideas, but what is it what does it like kind of look like in practice? Right. So um, our uh, our report or the work that we did, um, we weren't trying to replicate um, the work of, for example, uh, the um, uh, you know so uh, so the ICCS report, which is going to come up, which will look at global citizenship education at a um, at a systems level so what we were trying to do was actually look at practices um, specifically assessment practices and assessment tools that exist at um, up to the systems level so how is it done um, you know in terms of assessment practices in 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 um, very so so for example in a school district or within a family of schools within a nation uh, and that could be all the different schools in a nation so how is global citizenship education being practiced and we weren't looking at the policies uh, per se we were looking at the actual tool itself because of course you know, policy can state, yes, we will do global citizenship education, we will assess it, and these are the things that we value. But, you know, until you look at the assessment tool itself, you don't really know whether that reflects what is going on on the ground. So the assessment tool is really an artifact that that tells you uh, what it is that is being valued so um, you know to borrow a phrase are we measuring what we treasure so to speak um, <clears throat> so so we looked at a variety of different assessment tools and the easiest assessment tools that we came across um, in terms of access for everybody 
without requiring special uh, permissions um, from uh, various ministries. These were in the not-for-profit sector. And the not-for-profit sector has, there are many programs that have been using these, um, these assessment tools for a very long time. So these are highly established programs that have um, scaled. And uh, so those are the tools that we looked at because the other piece about global citizenship education is, is that there is an action component. Uh, so, you know, if, so there are relatively a handful of programs out there around the world that require some sort of um, action component. Like one of the programs, for example, is the International Baccalaureate Program. So the International Baccalaureate, in order to graduate from it, you require um, an, a, a, like a participatory uh, component in your assessment. Um, and, and, but there are not that many of those out there. So that's why we focused in on um, you know, the, the wide field that is represented in the nonprofit sector to see what was going on there. So, I mean, take me through some of these these measures, right? Like, how do you actually measure human dignity, right? If human dignity is the, the, the value that underpins global citizenship education, how on earth are people measuring? That? Right. So um, there are there were three components. Um, so there were a couple of different pieces. So uh, one of them was the initial work that we did in the Global Citizenship Education Working Group, where uh, we hashed out what did we think were competencies. Like you know, we say global citizenship. So so what do we mean by the competencies in in this this area. So how we define global citizenship was, uh, our global citizenship competencies was that there were um, eight different pieces to it. And some of these pieces would be uh, more global in nature. So uh, the competencies were things like empathy, um, critical thinking, problem solving, ability to communicate and collaborate with others, conflict resolution, sense and security of identity, um, shared universal values such as peace, justice. We also put in human rights, but there was debate in the group about the human rights aspect because, of course, human rights is a contentious um, phrase as well in many different parts of the world. Um, and uh, we wanted to really engage as many people as possible with the work that we were doing. However, we still um, decided to go ahead and put it in there. Um, respect for diversity, intercultural understanding, and last but not least, because these are not stacked in any way in terms of order of importance, um, the recognition of global issues such as interconnectedness and um, whether it's social interconnectedness, um, economic or environmental. 
Now, at the same time, or shortly thereafter, because um, our, our work went on hiatus for a little bit, and then shortly thereafter, we also had the UNESCO Global Citizenship Education Report, which um, categorized global citizenship under three, uh, three domains. So you had the cognitive, the socio-emotional, and the behavioral domains. And each of those domains, of course, looked at different aspects of global citizenship education. And um, so in our report, what we try to do is we try to kind of uh, synthesize all of that together because we didn't want to leave any anyone out, so to speak. And and the UNESCO um, uh, report was was very detailed and, and had lists of a lot of these topics that we could really hone in on uh, alongside our, our global citizenship competences to see um, what kinds of programs are there assessing these various aspects. So what would be, well, I mean, like, so for example, it, taking one of these um, competencies of empathy, what would be a good measure that you reviewed to, me to assess or measure empathy? Right. So one of the, the interesting, um, you know, so, so, there, so there are some programs that do it cognitively, you know, where you can talk about, you know, like define, um, you know, like define various competences or define various elements of global citizenship. So that's one way to go about it, which is in the cognitive domain. Um, but one of the more interesting um, assessment pieces that, um, that, that we came across uh, or that we looked at uh, included programs like U.S. First Robotics, for example. So U.S. First Robotics is really interesting because they have, it's a STEM program uh, for people who don't know. So it's a science, technology, engineering, and mathematics program that is um, a, a program where children get together, they put uh, together a robot, but that's really not the purpose of the robotics program. The purpose of the robotics program is to build this community of practice. And so they codify measuring what they call, um, uh, measuring basically um, an element, I would I would say, of of empathy, um, of in 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 something called cooperation. So the idea is, you cannot, uh, you cannot win this competition, this robotics competition, by yourself. You have to collaborate with others. You are observed during competitions. Uh, in terms of do you go out of your way to help other teams who are your competitor teams uh, if they are in need of assistance. So for example, if their robot breaks down or if they're looking for equipment or if you know they, they need a bit of expertise, do you go out and collaborate with these teams? Before the event happens, do you actually, um, uh, do you actually mentor uh, teams that even might be your competitor team? 
games and the highest award that you can get or the most coveted award that you can get is not the award where you win the competition it's called the woody flowers award which is basically a portfolio that you have to submit that is assessed and uh it's basically looking at you being a good um global citizen you actually being empathetic as a, as a group um you know resolving conflict helping one another um and respecting each other so so it's all of these elements that are observed for in a high stress situation which is the competition or at a uh, lower level at the at the level of elementary schools um they they do it through games for example that people play uh to to see how well people interact with each other and 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 so that is a very intriguing way of assessing because you are assessing through a performance rather than assessing through um actually you know can you define uh all of these elements of global citizenship and in fact this idea of assessing through a performance uh, emerges over and over again in a variety of these different programs so another program interesting program that just kind of uh, appeared on the uh, on the, uh, like in our um in our survey that was a, a fairly new program is corestone which was developed using a lot of the uh positive uh psychology uh field that is now emerging um as a very powerful kind of a field to to look at in terms of human behavior and all of those those aspects and and so the corestone program did something similar so which is that they uh have this series of different lessons that you go through and during the lessons you are observed uh and formatively assessed so you are assessed at different points in time in the learning trajectory as opposed to you know being assessed right at the end on paper and pencil you're assessed at different points in the learning trajectory to see <clears throat> whether or not you are uh understanding uh all of these different elements of what we would phrase as global citizenship education So this the US first robotics in the core stone are these programs that are being devised and implemented inside public schools and I mean and, and in what country in the US first robotics that seems to be in the US where what about the core stone So core stone is uh implemented uh in uh the, the developing world so um specifically they went uh, it's a it's a girls education program that um basically went to the villages in uh Bihar in India where you have uh, you know there's a lot of uh different challenges that 
that are faced by uh, by girls in that region of the world, um, and and so uh, they went out and and tried to um, have you know impact that specific population, and that's how, where that's where it kind of blossomed out of. Is the Corestone program implemented inside public schools? Or is it like a separate program? Uh, no, so it wasn't delivered through the public school, the formal public school uh, day. So uh, the U.S. First Robotics Program, which is international, so you have, um, of course, a lot of U.S. schools and Can and some Canadian schools that participate. Um, so in North America, but then you also have schools all around the world participating as well. Um, now that program can be delivered flexibly. So it can be delivered within school. So there are some schools that deliver the program through the school day itself, whereas others deliver it in an extracurricular fashion, which, you know, which which is um, it's interesting that the the, the programs around global citizenship education, the assessment tools around them, that these emerged out of the non-for-profit space, which is, you know, the in the informal learning spaces, a lot of them. Um, because, uh, because in the formal learning spaces, of course, what is really valued are other subjects such as uh, you know mathematics literacy uh science and and so the space for doing what we would consider global citizenship education often then falls into this external space as opposed to being a systems wide um, you know, as opposed to being a systems-wide implementation. Now, I'm currently involved with, and we looked at the adolescent years specifically, correct? Like that's basically, um, that's basically the area of our focus. So we didn't actually look at, for example, uh, early childhood education or uh, middle school education, we were considering more the adult and uh, so the, the young adult and adolescent, so youth uh, as the United Nations defined it, so that, that, that sector of the population that's called youth and programs that actually, um, you know, that, that actually impact youth. It's very interesting that a lot of global citizenship education is being implemented in the, the non-formal sector, whereas it's not necessarily appearing inside formal schooling as we know it. Why do you think there's so many, you know, international agencies or nonprofits or think tanks that are interested in global citizenship education today and, and we don't see the same sort of push inside formal schooling? Right. Um, I think that, uh, it, and the, I think that it's the legacy of how we do formal schooling. Um, the you know, if we really look at uh, formal schooling, where it came from, it came out of the labor market. So the need to basically educate, quote unquote, or skill a population for the labor markets of the industrial revolution. So the priority. Uh, was not you know teaching people to be empowered citizens 
um, the priority was can you actually uh, so it was a functionalist paradigm at that point right so the priority is can you be a productive uh, participant in the economy that is where the legacy of formal public schooling uh, comes out of as is practiced uh, in, mo in, in, in the majority of the world today um, and you know because that that model spreads with of course uh, colonization so when we when we consider public formal schooling uh, that is still one of the important aspects of formal public schooling is is that we we want to make sure that people have uh, the skills to actually be productive participants in the economy and there's always been this tension between uh, the functionalist paradigm and the transformative paradigm which is ultimately we want people to live um, peaceful and dignified lives and and value the dignity of others in their in their area and 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 so there are various different programs in formal education so uh, you know for example 21st century skills education or, or a moral education peace education character education um, your know, life skills education you can do education to develop leadership skills uh, even sports education so there are and sports is actually one of the big vehicles for delivering a lot of values-based education so for example there's a program um, that so we had to kind of restrict how large the compendium would be but there's a program uh, that is called magic bus um, that uh, came out of India uh, which it delivers uh, global citizenship education um, through sports um, <clears throat> and and so it's it's all of these different areas that tend to be marginalized in in most cases in the formal schooling system um, so so it is a, a legacy of where formal public schooling came out of now the of course today one of the key elements of being a participant in us in a productive and sustainable and stable economy um, would be to have the 21st century skills that relate to global citizenship education. Because if you are going to participate in the economies of today, it's no longer just, um, you know, like it, it, it's no longer the age of uh, the, the first machine age, the, the machine age of the Industrial Revolution. We are now going into an era where you need these much softer competences um, to collaborate with people from disparate viewpoints to navigate uh, to navigate a very interconnected e economic space and we also need people to understand um, you know aspects that would for example lead them to lead better and more dignified lives and not seek paths of violence which of course is extremely destabilizing and um, you know if we look at the impact on the 
on the world of of paths of violence it's absolutely awful so and all of that comes back to affect everybody so what was at one point a luxury to teach is now an essential to teach and so that is why these all these other bodies have become interested in global citizenship education and we are now seeing a swing towards uh, in terms of the conversation if not in terms of the practice definitely in terms of the conversation towards the other aspect of education that's not just the purely functionalist which is we want to um, we want to have an education system that also prepares people to be positive participants in society because you cannot police everybody all the time so that pro-social element that moral imperative of education um, is now being reinserted back uh, through so you're getting the heart of education being reinserted back uh, with global citizenship education. Yeah, I did a show with Andy Green um, a few months ago, and you know, and he he shows very clearly that schools, formal schools, have you know always had this dual purpose of human capital development, as you said, but also social cohesion. You know, like that has been one of the main features of formal schooling. Uh, even if it has this legacy of human capital and preparing students for the future. So I just, I guess I'm, I'm a little con- uh, maybe concerned about the, you know, pushing global citizenship education as, you know, in a sense, replacing formal schooling or because formal schooling is, is failing in some way. I don't know if that's really the narrative to construct. Right. Okay. So let me clarify that. Um, So I'm glad that you mentioned about that tension between human capitalism and social cohesion. So so the space of public formal schooling um, has been definitely a space to build social cohesion because that is really the space where you have all of these uh, communities come together and that is where we impart values. Um, However, uh, that has always existed in tension with um, with the human capital aspect of, of things. So so in some so that that tension doesn't mean that there is a conflict. That tension just means that those you have a dual purpose, and sometimes the duality of that purpose um, you know weighs more heavily on one side than on the other side. So so if uh, for example. Um, you know, we look at um, a, a subject area like STEM. So one of the one of the um, one of the areas that we kind of always think about in terms of anything to do with um, citizenship education, which is part of global citizenship education. So when we were spanning programs, you know, we looked at programs that, for example, also did civics education and citizenship education and um you know like in addition to like 21st century skills development and all of these other other areas all of these other 
other different um, you know spaces that we kind of tried to corral with this this border so we had to kind of border all of these different spaces under what we uh, under this umbrella term of global citizenship education in order to to surface in order to surface some of these um, some of these trends and some of these tools the tension that has existed between the human capital purpose and the social cohesion purpose of schooling, um, which again is it, it's not a conflict. It's just that in some sometimes you know one is more than the other. So one of the recommendations that came out of the United Kingdom, for example, um, you know years ago, I think it was in the eighties, um, was that. If you do not deliver, um, you know, citizenship education, for lack of a better term, um, through what are considered core subjects like mathematics, literacy, um, science and technology, if you don't deliver um, the if you don't deliver the values based aspect of what the purpose of schooling also is. Uh, throughout, then that gets marginalized. And in fact, there is, a you know, when we look at science and technology, these are extremely rational fields, or they're thought of as extremely rational fields. So in all schools, there's a hidden curriculum. So we teach values sometimes by what it is that we include and what it is that we omit. So even in fields such as science and technology, which are conceived of as extremely rational fields, uh, there are values that we are constantly imparting. So the idea with global citizenship education and the idea with it now being so high profile uh, and being talked about by a variety of different actors is that we are explicitly looking at addressing uh, these various aspects, these, these values that sometimes can get lost in the shuffle. So therefore, um, by explicitly talking about things like global citizenship education in discourses at um, when it comes to uh, what do we do in terms of education systems, we can actually re start re-emphasizing that there is indeed a dual purpose. Well, Jason Hara Bhattacharya, thank you so much for joining Fresh Ed. It was really wonderful to talk today. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Chesudhara Bhattacharya worked on the new report entitled Measuring Global Citizenship Education, a collection of practices and tools, which is linked to on Fresh Ed's website. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed. If you've liked what you've heard today, please rate us on iTunes. It really does help. Fresh Ed is made possible through listener donations. Please consider becoming a member of Fresh Ed by visiting freshedpodcast.com slash support. Fresh Ed's producers are Sherry Yang, Yuval Devere, and Hong Zhong. Aggie Hu is Fresh Ed's social media coordinator, and original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll see you next week.